0: Well, Good morning. I, uh, I got the text from Aaron on Thursday. It said, hey, are you around? And It's just kind of one of those where you're just like, you know, you want him not to be sick so he can be here. And then you're like, you know, just hang in there as long as you want or are you going to give me some time to prep? You get the whole deal, right? And uh, I'll tell you, I, I just love what the Lord's doing through, uh, through Aaron. And uh, can we just say a prayer for him? Yeah. Let's do that. So, Lord, I just ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would bring about full healing to Aaron. God, restore his voice, restore his His body in such a way, uh, Lord, that he comes back even more so than, than he was before. And bless this time and this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, good morning. You know, when he texted me, it was one of those, I thought, I don't know if I want to say yes. Let <laughs> I me mean, just be honest. Uh, you know, and I say that because the Lord has me in a really different season and I'm prepping all kinds of messages. I, I actually travel one week a month to Indiana where I teach seven different times that week, and then when I'm not teaching, I'm teaching 21 different times outside of that. And so in my mind, I don't know if you've ever had this, your thought is, nah, I can say no and nobody would care, right? You know, kind of deal. You can kind of do those things. But what I want to talk about today is how do you balance that tension of knowing you're supposed to do something from the Lord or, or not? Does that make sense? And so I was asking the Lord for confirmation about, like, what do you want me to talk about today? And, you know, my family, we do this thing called one words. Anybody ever do one words for the, the year? You're like, I want a word for that year. Like, you want to focus on something. Does anybody, anybody do that? If you're from China, you would do this because in the churches, they focus on one word in the church the whole year. And then they focus on something else the next year. And so our family, uh, we, we wanted to do that. And so, Patty, can you throw up a, a, a picture of our family? Uh, we, we, we paint on a canvas, are one words. So you have Maya and Nadia and Laura and Selah and Jude. And let me tell you, they are very interesting. Uh, And what we do is to say, Lord, what do you want me to focus on at school as a kindergartner? Lord, what do you want me to focus on as as a mom of of four? Lord, what do you want me to focus on as a a daughter who's in seventh grade at a public middle school and you're on the basketball team? What do you want me to focus on? Does that make sense? Okay, so as we're coming up with these words, I just feel like sometimes we don't know the balance between, is this from the Lord or is this my own flesh? Anybody ever, anybody ever balance with that tension? If you don't, you don't know you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. <laughs> we're going to walk through this tension because I think it's the tension in the church that we don't talk about very much. Is that is that you, God, or is that, is that me? And so as we, this week we're launching off the Dallas... Bible Church Missions Week, this is a, I just have to tell you, this, this church here is incredible about the support that they have for missions and missions agencies. I travel all over the United States, and this church is unique. And my wife and I are part of a ministry called Time to Revive, and on behalf of our ministry and also on behalf of all of the missionaries, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sowing into the kingdom of God in this way. And so what I want to do today is I want to walk through Matthew 20. If you would, can you open up the word of God? Matthew 20, we're going to focus on verse 17 and following. And you know, one of the things I I just like about this text is that I promise you, you're in this text. There's a tension here that a mom of two sons deals with that I believe we also face as well. And so what you have is, is that sometimes you have to look at your surroundings. You've got to look at your environment. So I just, first of all, want us to, to look ahead. All right, you're thinking about what, what could my word be for 2018? Or what could my word be for just maybe even this month that I want to focus on? we well, you've got to understand your surroundings. So I'm going to look at my calendar. I'm going to be like, okay, I travel a lot. I, I'm, tried, I'm, a, I'm a coach of kindergarten, YMCA, boys basketball. Will you pray? <laughs> I'm telling you what, that is more... I don't have to say anything else. But like, what what is my word? But the way you're going to come up with your word is you're going to look at your surroundings. You're going to base it off of your calendar. Some of you are expecting a child. Your word probably is going to be influential with that one thing. Or maybe you're looking at a new job and you're saying, what what is my word that would apply to this? Okay, make sense? And so in Matthew 20, 17, 18, and 19, what you have is Jesus is painting a picture about the calendar. He's painting a picture about looking ahead. And so in verse 17... And we'll have this up on the screen as well. The scripture just says this. While going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took the 12 disciples aside privately. And then he said to them on the way. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, just as at hand, how many have been to Israel before? Okay, if you haven't, can I, I'm actually serious. You need to put this on your bucket list. It will literally change how you look at scripture. It goes from black and white to color. And so when Scripture says it's going up to Jerusalem, it's because everywhere you're at in Israel, you're always walking up to Jerusalem. Like the Psalm of Ascents in the end of Psalms. If you guys are familiar with this, most of their languages is that we're going up. And so Jesus and his disciples, twelve of them, and there's a list of them. You guys know these guys' names. But I want to make sure, like humanize scripture. Like this is for us. You have the classic Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, you got James the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. So these two are working together. And they got Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Don't you love that this guy is always labeled? <laughs> Rich, the cabinet guy. Rich, the table maker. However you want to be labeled. Don, uh, the evaluator of, of sports teams. I think that's actually a cool one. Uh, you know, Vavi, <laughs> are you still a professor? You used to be a professor? Used to be, but you're always at heart, I promise you that. Uh, Always, and you get the point, you know, Steve, uh, the guy who always looks at money and analyzes, like, what if that was your label? You'd be like, can I get a break here? So like, this is the list of, of guys that Jesus has to work with. No offense to you guys. And it says this, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot, and then the classic guy, Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. That's his label. And it's interesting enough, it says he pulled them aside. Patty, if you go back to verse 17, he pulled them aside. Why? Because this is interesting. In John 6, it says that many of the crowd wanted to force him into the kingdom and into the being king. And so if he pulls them aside, I'm going to tell you something that I don't want you to really necessarily tell everybody. So let's have a quiet conversation on our way up to where are they going. Jerusalem, it's okay. You can, there's, there's freedom. You can interact. You know, I, no, never mind. Verse 18, watch this, scripture unfolds. I, now, I, w- I want to say this, though. In, in, uh, in Mark, it does say, as Jesus is walking ahead, same text, it says as he's walking ahead, it says that he, they become astonished and afraid as he's walking. Because then it says in verse 18, he says, listen. Verse 18, he says, listen, we are going up to Jerusalem. The son of man, he doesn't, he doesn't call him, he's not saying, this is me, he's, just, he's identifying himself as the son of man. And he says, the Son of Man will be handed over. And then what he he does is he begins to prophetically say what's going to happen. Don't be scared by that word. What I mean by that is he's beginning to say, this is what's going to happen. He's actually predicting what's going to take place. That's all he's doing. And so what he does is he says, he's going to be handed over to the chief priests and scribes. They're going to condemn him to death. In verse 19, he wraps up what it's going to look like. In verse 19, it just says this. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified and he will be resurrected on the third day. Now this is the third time, okay, that we have in Matthew, the third time that the disciples are being told that Jesus is going to die. So repetition is always always good in my kindergarten boys basketball team. 3 times is not enough. <laughs> this way <laughs> And so what I love about this is that Jesus knows we're human and that we need repetition. We need to hear over and over and over. Now, this is interesting enough. This is the first time he tells them how he's going to die. He says, oh, by the way, the Son of Man is going to be crucified. Remember, you have 12 guys with Jesus going up to Jerusalem. He pulls them aside and he says, this is what's going to happen. Now, strangely enough, Peter, James, and John, they also get a glimpse. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Remember, Mount of Transfiguration. They also overhear Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah about his death. Why is this important? Because this is the backdrop for you and me. This is the backdrop about what is our word when we understand the context that we are in today. So if you would, I want you to go to verse 20. It says this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him with her sons. Now, we know that James and John, remember, in Matthew, it says that they're one of the, of the 12 disciples, There's the two guys. So this mother, now, interesting enough, this mother, in Mark 15, it, her name is Salome, Salome, S-A-L-O-M-E, okay, Salome, possibly, okay, many commentators, when you study this in depth or you, you hang out with enough of the academic world, many people believe this is actually Mary's sister, Okay, there's a lot of scripture that could really point to this, just to give you a couple backdrops here, uh, as far as her sister goes, in John 19, it references Mary's sister, and then we also know that she was possibly at the crucifixion in Matthew 27, so why do I make that important distinction? She could be family, she could be family with Jesus. Okay, I'm not going to hold my hat on this and say this is 100%, but she could be the aunt to Jesus, does that make sense? Look, when you have family rights, you're gonna gonna use them, right? (laughs) If you laugh, it's because you do that. I get it. We all get that, all right? So now watch this. So here is, she understands the surrounding. Her sons come home and say, hey, Jesus talked about dying again. Mom! Okay, boys, let's come up with a plan. And so watch what happens. It says she approaches him and she kneels down to ask him for something. I want to tell you, this is not a bad thing. I think sometimes the mother of James and John, they get the bad rap like, oh, she's going to come to the table. Give me everything you got, Jesus. I, I think she's understanding the times. Does that make sense? He's going to die. They're on their way to celebrate Passover. This is the last time he's coming to Jerusalem. And if that's the case, man, we better get going. Jesus, we got to have a conversation. So she understands that she needs and is going to release a word that she thinks is from the Lord. You with me? Part of the battle about receiving a word, are you ready for this, is just approaching Jesus. Some of us are like, I don't know which direction I'd go. Well, first of all, just come to him with anything and then let him refine it. I think a lot of us, we don't even come to the table. You hear that Jesus is dying and then you don't even approach him. And the reality is, is that the mother comes, she comes to them. And I actually believe she's coming in faith. But in verse 21, classic Jesus line, what do you want? Now, I don't know. Maybe he said, hey, what do you, what do you want? I don't know his tone. I don't know how he was feeling. I don't know what he was sensing. But I know that it was genuine. And, and, the, and he says, and he, he asked her this question. And she says this, Pinky promised me something. Like, this is the language. This is what I feel like. I need you to promise Isn't this feel childlike? Can you just promise me before I even tell you that this is what I need from you, Jesus? And so it's crazy. She says, promise that these two sons, James and John of mine, that they may sit one on the right and one on your left in your kingdom. You You know what this comes across as? It's actually biblical. Watch this. If you can go to, will you guys all go there and go to Matthew 19, verse 28. Matthew 19, 28. This is really important. If you don't go there, it's up here on the screen as well. Her prayer was based on a word. Remember, Matthew 20 is after Matthew 19. Right? Which means this was spoken already. So she's just reiterating something that Jesus has already said. Now watch, it says, Jesus said to them, I assure you, in the messianic age, when the Son of Man, here's the language again, sits on his glorious throne, praise the Lord, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. You disciples, you apostles, you're going to sit on 12 thrones. And he says, and your job, when you're with me, is you're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. So here you have a mother of two, James and John, she knows the word that's been released, and she says, oh, by the way, when they're up there judging, can you just tweak it so one sits next to you and the other sits next to you? To me, you know what that sounds like? A really good mom. Who doesn't want the best for their kids, right? So I actually think her intent to come before the Lord is actually with good intentions, but even with good intentions, I think sometimes we're just a bit off. Anybody, can anybody attest to that? Like you're like, oh yeah, I had a good, good, good motive. But then the next thing you know, you're like, gosh, I, I missed that. That, That's what's starting to happen here. She says, this is what I want. And in fact, what I want to do is I want to talk about three words first, and then I'm going to get to the end at the very end about how to balance this tension. I don't normally say this, but in the the school that we're a part of, I always ask people to write some things down. I, I just want you to write these things down. Not because this is me saying this, but I want you to get the tension every single day that you're going to fight. Put it in your phone, whatever it is. Okay, here's what I think Salome, the mother of James and John, fought. I think she fought, first of all, the worldly perspective. Okay, now remember, I'm telling you, she's functioning by faith, but at the same time, the world is coming in and is pressing against her to say, no, but I want you to think differently. Are you with me? Can everybody, this is how I work with my coaching, can everybody just say "world"? You're going to fight the worldly things. Scripture says this. And in fact, just so you have an understanding, the the world is the ways of culture and society. So if she's implying, can I have them sit next to the right and to the left? And I will tell you, in another context, it says that the sons did the asking. I actually think it was a whole family affair that got involved. Hey, let's all figure out how we can get a part of this. And so there's this tension of this worldly uh, instant gratification. This instant, like, this is what I need right now because the world says I have to have it. Does that make sense? And so what she's saying is in, in, the, in the worldly mindset, in order to get authority and power, you need to take it by charge yourself. It's this top to bottom mentality. Can, can you just give me this, this role? And in fact... First John 2, verse 15. First John 2:15, it says this. I think this is important to note. First John 2:15, it just says, "Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anybody loves the world, love for the Father is not in him." And so what I think is kind of happening is she's kind of blending the worldly things with the things that she knows is of the Lord. The Lord is, is that she knows that the 12 are going to sit next to the Father. But now she's saying, yeah, but now give me authority, give my kids authority in this process. That's where she went wrong. Are you with me? Like if I'm in a church in Dayton, Ohio, and like they're sensing something with me, they would be like, amen. Steve Magison in the back, are you with me? (laughs) Hey Amen. <laughs> I just knew he'd say something. So I'm telling you, we are going to fight the world every single day. You're like, I'm not coming back when he preaches again. Now, watch this, though. John 15, 19. I hope you're writing these verses down because I need you to feel equipped. When you're out in the mission field, when you're at your house, I need you to feel equipped that you can fight these things. And in John 15, verse 19, Scripture just says this. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. It should be clear, you guys, that you are in the world, but not of the world. Be careful how you blend these things. Okay, the first word is what? World? Can you just say world? World. World. The second word I want you just to say is flesh. Just say flesh. The flesh is all about the quick fix. A flesh is all about instant, like, this is what I need personally. Flesh and the Spirit are constantly battling. Constantly battling. You have the world's influences, the news, the media, and how things are supposed to be done. But that flesh stuff, you guys, that's you. That's me. That's us dealing with the junk. And do we give in right away? And so you have some verses up here. I just want to read one of them. In, in, in Romans 7, verse 18... Romans 7, verse 18, Scripture says this, For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. This is the Apostle Paul talking. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. You and I will always have to fight the flesh. What I think about Salome, what I think about the mother, is that they know, she knows, that they are always trying to seek authority. Always trying to seek Positioning that make sense? I'm not going to quote these, but I'm just going to tell you in Matthew 18, they're arguing about who's the greatest. In Mark 9, (laughs) in Luke 9, they're arguing about quietly, hey, who's the greatest here? Do you guys remember this? They're always jockeying for position. That's part of our flesh. We always want to put ourselves in a position that makes us look good. You're going to fight the world. You're going to fight the flesh. And this mom comes and she knows there's truth, but can I add a little bit to this and in Galatians 5 16 and 17 here's your remedy Galatians 5 16 17 is just I'm just going to tell you this you're going to fight the flesh and the spirit and when you walk out in the spirit the flesh loses don't worry here's what I'm going to tell you at the end I'm going to I'm going to give you a couple illustrations on how to hear from the Holy Spirit I think that's important to understand, but I want you to know, just like when you're sharing the good news, when I'm out interacting with people, I love this, I was, I was talking to some girls uh, at a high school last two weeks ago in Indiana, and I said, why do you think there's good news? And I, said, I don't know. I said, because there's bad news. You have to understand that you need Jesus. Why do you need Jesus? Because of the bad news, because of the sin. Why do we need to walk in the spirit? Why do we need to hear from the Holy Spirit? Because the world and the flesh, and here's your third word, Third, world, uh, third word is Satan is coming at you. The reason it's important to understand why to walk in the Spirit of God is because there's an ongoing battle for your life. Does that make sense? Most of the American church in America, okay, I want to say this very clear because I've tra- I travel a ton, is that many, many times the church doesn't even know we're in a battle. Which is why we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. When we don't admit we're in a battle, we don't realize that we need him. Does that make sense? So let's just call out the enemy as it is. You have the world, you have the flesh, and you have Satan. The Satan Ephesians says he's the prince of the power of the air. He's constantly coming at you. And it says in John 10, he's coming to steal, kill, and destroy your life. That's why we need the Holy Spirit in our life. Because when you come before the Messiah, you want to make sure your motives are right. And by the way, you need help with your motives. I need help with my motives. But you don't realize you need help unless you realize you're in a serious battle. And I'm just going to tell you now, don't play games with the political stuff. Don't do that, you guys. Just stop. The battle is not who's president or who's the congressman. Do you understand that? The battle is a spiritual battle, and it's the world, it's it's flesh, and it's Satan, and they're coming to destroy you, and to destroy me, and to come after this church. My wife and I have been going here for 15 years. The only way this church has to survive is by the dependence upon the Holy Spirit and not of ourselves. But you have to realize that Satan is coming to kill and destroy every one of your your thoughts. And in fact, I'll, I'll even just say this in Isaiah 14. It says that even Satan himself tries to put himself at the throne. And so in a, some weird way, by her asking for her sons, can I be at the throne? It's almost like at times they're giving in to what Satan really wants. Can I position myself? That's that's exactly what Satan did. Be careful. It is not your job to position yourselves to get exalted. We are to humble ourselves, and he does the exalting. But it doesn't happen unless you understand what we're up against. And in fact, if you go back to the text in Matthew 20, verse 22. So you have the world, the flesh, and Satan that are coming at you. In verse 22, watch this though. But Jesus said to the mom, you don't even know what you're asking Are you able to drink the cup? And what what that means is, are you able to saturate yourself? Are you able to immerse yourself with the suffering that I'm going to go through? Do you realize what you're asking? In Mark, it talks about being baptized in this process as well. Drink the cup and being baptized. And (laughs) He says, do you realize that I am going to take and embrace the divine judgment and wrath that's coming on the people? Do do you really want that? In classic human form, the Sons of Thunder, they wouldn't be called the Sons of Thunder unless they didn't have a little oops The Sons of Thunder said, man, we're in. We got it. We're good. We are able. Now, I like this, but I want to know, really? And so the scripture continues on, if you would. Go to verse 23. And so here's what Jesus said. Well, you will indeed drink my cup. So at one point down the road they were right. We're in and Jesus says, actually, you are right. But their original intent of coming before the Lord, strangely enough, was right, but it was just a little bit off. And so what happens is that when you come before the Lord, be open to Jesus refining your approach to the throne. Can I make it real plain? Sometimes when we come to the table and, and you say, well, this is, this is how I've always done things. This is always my tradition. This is my theology. But the scripture might say otherwise, but because you were born and raised a different way, you don't want to change. The American church, you guys, at some point, we've got to get to the point where we need to be refined by the word of God, not based on our tradition. I go into city after city, talking to church after church. Oh, I can't work with that church. Why not? Well, because they do baptisms uh, with just with water on their heads. They don't go all under. Man, I've been to. Play, I have I have one friend. He baptizes people forward three times, and it's violent. <laughs> but those aren't the reasons. Those aren't the reasons that you stay away from the body of Christ. You have to be open to being refined on what does Jesus' word say and so they got the right word in matthew 19 but jesus says now you've heard the word but can i can i just tweak it so that you really understand what i'm after it's kind of fun as he says this he says you're going to sit but to sit at my right hand i'm in matthew 20 verse 23 but to sit at my right hand and the left is not mine to give instead it belongs to those for whom it has been prepared by my father in other words Look, man, I, I think this is crazy. I think it is true. You, in fact, James is going to be beheaded in Acts 12. Do you know that? And then in, in Revelation 1, John, he's actually exiled and put on an island in Patmos. So they do actually follow the ways of the Lord. But how they got there, it, it just came across a little wrong. And I think sometimes that's a reflection of who we are. I think our intentions are right. But when we let the world, the flesh, and Satan kind of get in our way, it comes across just a little off. Just a little. Just a little bit. And I want you to go back to say, Jesus, what are you trying to say about where I'm going right now? I actually want you to say, Jesus, what what does this look like in my life? You don't try to figure it out. You let him reveal it. There's a big difference, you guys. And that's, that's not charismatic. That's just scriptural. And so it says this in verse 24. When the other ten, when the disciples heard this, what the mom, the mama and her boys did, they became indignant. They became upset, jealous, irate with the two brothers. What are you you trying to do? Does anybody know a person that one-ups everything? Do you know what I mean by that? You say something and then they one-up you all the time. Oh, yeah, man, I had an awesome dinner. You should have seen my dinner. Like, that's what the two brothers did. They tried to one-up the ten. And in verse 25, Jesus begins to say, but this is my word. You were after greatness. I'll show you how to get to greatness. And I'm going to give you my word. You came to the table with your word. Now I'm going to refine it. And I'm going to tell you, how do you get greatness? And Jesus says, well, in verse 25, he called them over and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them and the men of high position exercise power over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, of what you just told me, he doesn't say that, but that 's what he 's implying, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave and in verse twenty eight to wrap it up, it says, "Just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now you could say, man, that's a whole lot there, and where's my application what 's my, my takeaways? Look, what I love is, is that the three, the two and the one, they came to the table and said, this is what we want. We, we want greatness. That's what they're implying. You know that, right? We want greatness. And Jesus says, okay, come over here. I'm going to tell you how to get to greatness. You humble yourself and you serve. And I think what we need to see in Dallas Bible Church or the American church, it, it really, to me, it's irrelevant. It's the body of Christ. Is that when we say, God, here's what I'm thinking. Now will you refine it to make it look like you? That's when he can move. And I love this because Jesus says the opposite. You want greatness, now you serve. So how do you get to that point where when you come to the Lord with a word, you're open to being changed? You know, it's crazy. uh, With these four girls in Indiana, I was at a a Raiders for Christ. It's a Northridge high school. And we were all done with this group of Christians. And I went up to them and I said, hey, would you like to hear from the Holy Spirit today? I mean, these are sophomores in high school. Well, yeah, 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 well, I don't know. <laughs> I said, I believe you can. Because in John, just so you guys know, in John 10, verse 27, it says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. If you believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Amen? If the Holy Spirit is inside of you, part of the role is to lead you. In Romans eight fourteen it says, Those that are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Okay? So I want us to know how to fight the world, the flesh, and devil as we're going in everyday life. And I want you to understand you too can hear from the Holy Spirit. The one misnomer that I believe has happened to the church is that we believe only the leadership can hear from the Holy Spirit. We imply that everywhere we go because in churches in America, churches die based on the lifespan of a pastor in America. You guys, what should happen is that we should flourish because we're hearing from the Holy Spirit. Would you agree? And so I just want to give you seven simple, I promise you, I'm not going to teach you this. I want to give you seven simple principles, okay, on how to fight the world, the flesh, and Satan coming at you. Because let's face it, we need all the help we can get. And when you talk about missions week, you want to talk about our missionaries going out on in the battlefield, it would be the weirdest thing if no missionary ever mentioned the Holy Spirit. I promise you, we are utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit. We need Him. And so how did the disciples, James and John, get to the point where that they could drink His cup? How did they get to the point where they died as a martyr or that they were exiled? How did they get to the point where they exiled to an island? Because I believe they heard from the Holy Spirit. So here's your first one. Okay, I'm going to give you seven ways to hear from the Holy Spirit. This comes from a guy named Greg Van Busick. Uh, He got his doctorate at Regent University. He works uh, and speaks uh, at CBN. Uh, And so I love this. The very first one is, how do you hear from the Holy Spirit? Through Scripture. Through the Word of God. They took what Jesus said at face value, the word, and guess what? They started to live it out. They started to serve what he asked them to do. They forgot the greatness component and they began to actually give up their lives. And so how do we know this? Well, based on the word of God. Number two, this is kind of a fun one for me. And I, I get this. There could be some tension here. But I actually believe the heart can actually reveal what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. I understand that there's a tension of sometimes the, Holy, uh, the, the heart can be misleading But I also think, it says in Hebrews, that if we don't harden our hearts, we can hear from the Holy Spirit. And so when you open yourself up to the Word of God, the Spirit of God can speak to you. I believe when you open yourself up to the heart, it's always going to align with the Word of God. Amen? Then you can fight the world that's coming at you. Somebody in this room, I can guarantee you, is dealing with one form of a temptation or not right now. How do you fight it? With the Word of God. Okay, number three, Okay, another way is, is it's prophetic. Now you could say, "Whoa, hey, <laughs> did he say prophetic? It's okay. Do you realize that Jesus revealed the future three times to his disciples saying, this is going to happen? And just so we're all on the same page, I want you to go to First Thessalonians. Can you do this? Go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21. I understand you're not going to grasp all of this at once. In seminary, they tell you it's a fire hose. We're going to give it all to you at once, and then I'd love for you to process. Okay, in 1 Thessalonians, if I could find it. Anybody else ever have a problem finding Bible chap books? You guys are like, I have my phone. 1 Thessalonians 5, watch this. It says this. uh, I'll just say in verse 16, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything. Or this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't quench or don't stifle the spirit, and don't despise prophecies. But look what it says. But test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. So what I hear is is that God God can actually speak through the prophetic. Now you might not embrace it. That's fine. I'm okay with that. I just want you to be aware of how the Holy Spirit can speak to us. Does that make sense? That's all I'm saying okay? Through the word, through your heart, through the prophetic. And number four, this is always safe, godly counsel. Godly counsel. You're going to want to surround yourself. Hey, this is what I'm sensing. Should I go to Jesus and tell him we want to sit at the right hand and the left hand? Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> right? That's what godly counsel, but that's my point is like when you surround yourself with the things then you're like, well, why, why do I even say that? Because Matthew 19, yeah, but what does the scripture say? That's why you have elders, you guys that's why we have an elder-led church. You come to the elder so that you can continue to stay in line with the Holy Spirit. Okay, number five, okay, we're gonna wrap this up. Number five also is this, you can go there if you don't mind, is that you're gonna see confirmation. Have you ever walked out on something and then you just got confirmation like, yeah, that's from the Lord, anybody? Amen. You know, for me, the scriptures in Mark 16, you're like, I don't know about that one. Scripture says you will see confirmation by by wonders, okay? In America, we might not see that all the time, but you will get confirmation. Can I just tell you this? Uh, Every week, I interact with a gentleman from Jerusalem. Time Revive's end goal is to make uh, the Jewish people see who the Messiah is. And so in this process of me dialoguing with a, a Jewish man overseas, he loves the Lord, Uh, He's planning this trip, if you guys are familiar with the National Prayer Breakfast in D.C. So the National Prayer Breakfast is the beginning of February, and he's bringing six Israeli Knesset members. What a Knesset member is like a politician, a senator. He's bringing six of them along with a deputy minister to the prime minister. He's bringing seven individuals. And I talk with uh, this gentleman, I pray with him, and and he began to talk about all these things that that he has to go through. And and I just, I started speaking into him, and I said, you know, I, I think you should do this, this, and this. And you know what he said to me? I think you should help me do all that. You know, it's kind of like the Joseph. He interprets the dream. He says, hey, seven years and seven years. And he goes, good, now you're in charge. I'd love your prayers because the Lord has allowed us. We're going to go to D.C. And we're going to host seven Knesset members for a whole week in D.C. And they've asked us to introduce delegates and people of the political world. Just so you know, I don't know any. (laughs) But I do know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob. And my God is a big God, and when you walk by the Spirit of God, He will confirm every step of your way. You just got to get to the point where you're trusting the Spirit, and it will always align with the Word. It will always align with godly counsel. Your hearts, you're going to see confirmation in this. I just want us to experience more of Him. He's not a boring God. Anybody says that your life is boring as a Christian, you're not following Jesus. Jesus because he's alive and active. I'm walking by faith, I'm booking hotels, I'm I'm going to restaurants with Knesset members. I don't even know if I'm supposed to be kosher or not kosher. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) But when you walk this way, the world, the flesh and Satan has no room in your life. That's how you can be a mission-minded church. And then the very last one, uh, nope, that would be number six. (laughs) I won't preach on this one then the peace of God is going to fall on your heart. If you make a decision, I promise you, you shouldn't be up and down wavering. You'll have the peace that will come on your life. Should I make this decision or not? I don't know. I don't have peace. Then don't tell Jesus that you should sit at the right and the left. Then wait on it. And then the last thing, number seven. Number seven just talks about circumstances and timing. When you begin to walk into this, he just unfolds it, and there's no question that God's in you can't make these things happen. And the world and the flesh and Satan, see you later. Because what Christ did on the cross crushed it all. And so all I want to do is, is that, man, to me, I just want our church. We've been going here for a long time. I want us to walk this out together. I want our kids to experience this. Amen, Don? I want our kids to experience the Holy Spirit. I want our older, older, older people to experience the Holy There's no retired Holy Spirit. And there's no junior Holy Spirit. But I want you to realize there's a battle. And I believe it can radically change our church when you just embrace one of these things. You don't have to embrace them all. Relax. But for me, it's been a game changer. And my prayer, that's the case for you.